0: You guys are here uh, to worship with us uh, this morning. Uh, we have asked them to crank down the air because it is summer still. In case you haven't noticed, it's September 1st, but it's, it's hot outside and so we've cranked down the air so hopefully you'll be comfortable. Uh, like Jeep said, we're continuing our series called It Takes More Than Me. And sometimes when you hear that statement, uh, things in you begin to think, well, does it really? Wait, wait a second. Like, I can do things by myself. I can take care of the things that I need to take care of. And while that's true, we've been talking about really to experience the life, like Jeep mentioned, where we really thrive. We actually need help beyond ourselves. And in this series, we've been looking at the fact that self-help can only take you so far. There's really a ceiling to what you can do in your life when you are the only one doing it. And last week, we talked about essential characteristics that God wants to build into us to experience the kind of life he wants. And we talked about love and integrity and how love and integrity really are two crucial trust factors that we experience as we relate to God and as you relate to other people. And to the degree that love and integrity exists, a level of trust exists and the degree that those don't exist, not much trust exists. And the less trust you have in a relationship really over time, they dry up and they go stale. And so what we looked at is the fact that God in his character and who he is continues to give us love And he shows us integrity by always being true to who he is and whatever he says he will do, he does. And so this morning we're going to talk about two other characteristics that are found in God and how those help us as well. And those are humility and forgiveness. But there's a tension that exists when we talk about this idea of being uh, self-help can only get us so far or it takes more than me or there's essential characteristics that we need to live by in life. There's a tension exists when when you realize that you can't do that by yourself. So there's essential characteristics that we need to live by, but inside of ourselves, by ourselves, we, we don't have them. So what do we do? And that's what we're looking at today is how God has bridged the gap from the tension that exists by life independently. We can't do life the way he wants. And so we need his help. That got me thinking about tensions in life. There's lots of different tensions. Uh, these are kind of humorous, but one of the tensions I thought are all you can eat buffets. How many of you guys have ever been to one of those? Okay. Just by the title, there's a tension because it's kind of like a challenge. It's not all you should eat buffets, right? It's all you can. And so it's kind of going in there. Like, let's see what you got. Right. Right. Or maybe that's just me. But every time I go in an all-you-can-eat buffet, you're thinking, well, I'm paying a certain amount of money for all the food I can eat. I'm not eating and buying plates of food from what I should. So if I haven't left there feeling sick, it was not worth the money I spent. Anyone else experience that? I know I've, I've, I've felt that before. There's a tension there. All you can eat, not all you should. Another thing, free stuff. I love free stuff. But sometimes there should be a synonym for stuff, which is junk, free junk. But it's free. You guys ever felt that there's something that if it's free, who cares? And our kids, we hang out and we go different places. And sometimes at different parks or different events, they have these free events and the kids get like bags of those little Frisbees that fly five feet and pencils. And it's all this free stuff. And the kids think it's like Christmas in July. And you're like, that's great. It's free. And then Two weeks later in your van, you find the Frisbee and you find the pencil and you think like it was free and we didn't really need it because it's on the van. It's under a seat. It's like shimmying up a chair at home and we don't use it, but it's free. Guys, ever felt that I was on Craigslist recently. I'm trying to get rid of a free chair that I want to give away. There's this awesome world in Craigslist, which is it's free. They're called curb pickups. You put it on your curb and you can just go and pick it up. And what I realized is, you know what? I started looking. I was like, that's awesome. That's free. That's free. And I started thinking if I only had a pickup truck, I could load all that. I thought, I don't need that. There's a tension there. I don't need it, but it's free. So I I want it. But there's other tensions that are a little bit more serious, like uh, my wants and my needs kind of related to free stuff or all you can eat buffets Uh, too much and too little buffets that applies as well. Uh, my needs versus other needs. There's tension there. There's me and what I have in front of me. And then there's other people that I'm interacting with what they have in front of them. And there's a tension. We both have needs. What do we do? God's character versus my character. And that's kind of the tension we're talking about in this message series. Here's God and the picture of the life he wants us to have. But by ourselves, we can't quite experience it. We can't quite get there. And there's a tension that exists. Today, we're going to talk about another tension. And that's love and justice. Both are equally important. But at the same time, sometimes there's a tension that exists between between love and justice. And so we're going to talk about that as it relates to this idea of humility and forgiveness. Before we do that, I want to show you a clip from the movie called The War. And it starts starts Kevin Costner. And he's uh, a soldier that served in Vietnam. And he's come back from the war and he's trying to rebuild his family. And there's a lot of tension that's existing in his family and conflict. And he's trying to come back, re-enter his family, and model to his kids the right way to act. So we're going to watch one clip, talk about it, and then later in the, the message, we're going to look at another clip as well. So let's go ahead and watch this first one.
1: Lossy, stonky, baby. You're Get that piece of junk off the road! around him, stupid. Go again, oh, man. Move back, Come on, spikes, huh? go. Come oh, down. Down. Your kids back talking, don't. Well, no, but I think he's seen you slamming against our car like that. He got, he got a little emotional. My daddy's to me poison out Yeah, I got done all over because of him. He's on my kid and I to No. No, no, I can't go by telephone You lying to me, son. You better don't get yourself lying to me. No, Dad, go. Seems like our kids are going to live. Doesn't look like there's any real damn gun to i find out the You movie. being smart with me? Because if you're looking for a fight, I'll fight you right now. He just out wet but I don't believe in fighting. i bet you don't. You yellow-tailed chicken liver's wussy. <laughs>
0: That first car scene. Anyone else think that's like my commute to work, right? That's L. A. That's L. A. traffic right there. But anything kind of go on inside you as he's ramming his car. I know for me, I'm thinking, you gotta get out. You gotta dance with wolves, that you know. Come on, Kevin. Natural. Throw a fastball. That sometimes happens to me. I see a character, and then all their characters come into one. I was thinking, you got you gotta act. You got your son there, and I, I started getting all fired up. You can't let him do that to you. And a little bit later, we're going to see how Kevin Costner responds. But as you can see, there's like the whole town looking. His son is looking. This man's kids are looking, and there's this point. What's going to happen? There's wrong that's happened, and How is Kevin Costner going to respond? But this love and justice right there in that scene, I'm thinking, you have to act. You have to make that right. He can't ram your car like that, even though if it's an old, old school station wagon. You can't let him do that. But there's a tension there. What do you do when you're put in a situation like that where emotions are high, somebody has wronged you, and now you have an offense? And for us, it it doesn't probably happen as as crazy like this as the whole town is watching. But there's offenses that that we get on a daily basis. Uh, Most of the time, they may be by people that we love. They say something that lands the wrong way. They say something that hurts our feelings. They say something that kind of attacks us. And we're offended by it. Somebody at work does something that kind of puffs them up over us. And it just bothers us. And these things kind of gather. And so we have a few options as we deal with the wrong that's done to us. There's a few options that exist. I want to review them. When you've been just wronged by somebody, the first option you could do is, is you could pretend the injustice didn't happen. If it's something somebody said, something somebody did to you. You could just pretend it didn't happen at. Either self-preservation, you don't want to go there, you, don't want to, you just want to keep everything calm. You don't want to kind of ruffle any feathers. Or because you love and value the relationships, you don't want to say anything because you don't want there to be any conflict. So you could just pretend it didn't happen. Option two, this is the option that came up in my emotions as I saw this clip, is you want to punish or pay them back for the injustice without mercy. I'm thinking put the car in reverse and just you start ramming him back. Seems like that would be good. That would be right. That's the other option. You just, without mercy, you get them back for what they've done. You see this in kids a lot. They say something. The friend says something. They say something. And it just escalates, escalates.
1: No. Yes. No.
0: That's this. It's just payback, 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 payback. There's the, the third option. Do what God did with us. So we can pretend it didn't happen. We can pay people back without mercy or we can actually do what God did with us. And that's what we're going to look at today in the message. And what you find is there's actually injustice between us and God and God created the world for us to enjoy. And he gave us free will. And because of the free will, we chose to go our own way. And when we went our own way, we sinned and we decided that we wanted to be our own boss. We wanted to call our own shots. We wanted to do life our own way. But what happened is, is, that went against the ideal that God had for us. And so now there's a gap that exists. The life God wanted for us and then the path that we chose. And so God could have taken these options as well. He could have just said, OK, I'm going to let it go. No big deal. He could have squished us, squashed us, crushed us, however you want to say it. But he did something different because he loves us. Even in our rebellion, the fact that we went our own way want to do life our own. Our own way. He loved us. And so he showed us this tension of love and justice. And he acted on our behalf by sending Jesus. I want to read a, a verse that describes this. Philippians 2.8 says, And being found in human form, he humbled himself. That's Jesus. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. So God loved us. Didn't want to destroy us. But we went against God's commands. We went against God's ideal for us. And so there's a tension. There's a gap that exists. Knowing that we can't bridge the gap by our own good deeds or our own good attitudes or our own kind things that we want to say or do. He sent Jesus. Because boundaries still needed to exist. There still needed to be accountability. He couldn't just let it go. There'd be no boundaries and we could just treat each other the way we want. And this world would be a miserable place. But in Jesus, we have a new hope. We have a fresh start. And he took on the injustice on himself. And he paid for the penalty of us going our own way. So in Jesus, we see this tension point of love and justice come together. He paid the price for us. He gave us a new start. And we don't have chaos in this world to the degree that we would if there were no boundaries at all. And what you find is you do life God's way. There are certain boundaries that exist that protect you from the life that God does not want you to have. Just like kids, those boundaries could kind of cramp our style and they kind of limit our freedom. But what you find is it's from a loving father who wants good for us. So love and justice in Jesus are brought together. It's it's very important. Something that's very valuable to God. Is unity. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today. The value of unity and how in love and justice, when something is wrong is done because of love and what he does in humility and forgiveness, the fact that we can still have unity together. We're commanded over and over because of the example of Jesus, because he showed us how to maintain unity by humbling himself. We are commanded as Christ followers. If you have Given your life to Christ to follow him as boss, you're, you're commanded to work and speed towards unity no matter the cost. And that comes through one way, and that's humility. And Jesus modeled that for us. Humility is the way to speed toward unity. Why? Well, that's what Jesus did for us. Injustice happened. There was a gap, there was a separation from the choices that we made to not live to God's ideal, And instead of lording his power, Jesus chose humility on our behalf. And there's unity that can exist. We can have a relationship with God because of that. So humility is the way to speed towards unity. Check this out in Ephesians 4. It says, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord. This is Paul talking. He was in prison as he's writing this. He says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And so what closes the gap between injustice and love is humility and unity. The gap becomes non-existent as people choose to humble themselves, not look just only for their own interests but actually look to the the interests of others. So back to those options. We can pretend it didn't happen. We can hold it against somebody without mercy, or we choose the the way of Jesus. Well, it seems like in anything that when wrong has been done to us, we we feel like we have this, this right to pay people back, to show our power, to come against them and show, you will not do that to me again. Fool me once. Right? It's ingrained in us. We may let it go one time. But you will not do that again. What Jesus shows us is the way, that way of power and of lording over and holding people to to pay for what they've done. We can't live to that standard. Relationships aren't good. We can't live the life God wants with that. Because why? Because we have done the same to others. And so this picture is is crucial. Humility is the attitude that we need to choose to work towards unity. What happens, according to the scripture, gentleness follows it. This is also translated meekness. It's this this idea of you keep the relationship in mind. If somebody has done wrong to you, there's a part of you that wants to crush them for what they've done. But you realize that if you crush them, there is no relationship left. And because you have done the same thing and because I have done the same thing, we deserve the same punishment. But Jesus shows us the better way. So gentleness follows humility. And then along with gentleness and humility, you get this patience. You bear with people as they wrong you. This is the kind of relationship that God wants us to have. When wrong is done, we humble ourselves. When people do things that annoy us, we're patient with them. When somebody says something to us that offends us, we think about a gentle response. As we're communicating with people, we think about how we can say things in a way that can help them. I don't know about you, but this goes against most of my reflexes. Most of my reflexes are payback, let them have it, vent, and just unload what I'm thinking. And it feels like it. Man, that would feel so good in the moment. And then you blast the person, you walk away, and that's right, I said it. And now there's a huge divide in the relationship. And we've all been there. We've said things that we didn't want to say. We've done things we haven't wanted done. But humility is the way that despite what has happened in a relationship, humility is the way that these come together again. Humility is the first move to resolving tension in a wholesome way. It's the first move. Not the last, not after you've vented, not after you've let him have it. It's the first move, which is really a, a denial of yourself. Now, this doesn't mean if you're in a relationship and there's destructive patterns, it doesn't mean that that can't be confronted. Humility doesn't mean that you just ignore what's really going on. But we approach correction. We approach wanting to fix things and work on things in relationships out of humility, not of pride so this is the tension that always exists. Am I saying things to them? Am I thinking things about them? Am I wanting to to kind of talk about this out of humility because I value the relationship? I want us to grow or out of pride. I want to show them how much I have it together or I want to put them in their place. There's a tension that's there, but it's so crucial as we relate to each other, as we choose humility, it's for the benefit of the other person. It's for the benefit of the group that you're a part of. And relationships are sweetened because of humility that pairs up with gentleness and patience. You see this as you relate to your spouse, your roommates, your boss, your kids. You always get in these points where the tension exists where you have to decide, am I going to look to their interests or only my own? And When things get messed up and when I need to talk about things, am I going to talk about these in a way that's going to help them? Because unity is so important. And so that's going to exist. I want to show the next part of that clip. So you've seen this tension. And he has a response to do. Let's go ahead and watch that and see what happens.
1: Go, <laughs> oh, <Mike>, it is. <laughs> <laughs> you don't smell like a skunk. What you say to me? I will break your neck, you look. <laughs> Great! i I can't allow you to put your hands on my son. You don't see me correcting your children. I don't mind so much. You're plowing into my car and I don't take offense. You're calling me names, but you go after my child. you are going to push a button on me and then I'm going to lose control and kill you. And I apologize to my son. I apologize. It's mighty kind of you. My son has something to tell you. Apologize to Mr. Lipnicki, Stu. Tell him you're sorry for insulting him. Sorry, Mr. Lipnicki.
0: Now, if you're a guy, you like that tension because he still got to kind of grab him by the neck and throw him down. Right. You're still like, that's good. We could take that. But he didn't kill him. We like it. Right. Well, in your life and in my life, there won't be like background music playing (laughs) and the village watching. But what it is, is that he had a choice. And it was he could have unloaded and lost control. And he said, if I lose control, I'm going to kill you. But he, he actually maintained control. Why? Because he valued the fact that there, there was a lesson to be learned here for everyone watching, for his son. Could you imagine if he just lost control and beat him to a pulp? And then he walks back to the car and his son sits and he's like, good job, dad. And what are you showing? What are you modeling? But instead, he confronted the issue. He wasn't going to let the guy tear off the limbs of his kid. But at the same time, unity happened. The man apologized and his son apologized. And it's a a great picture. And so that picture of this, you know, maintaining control, realizing that what I do in this moment by what I say and the attitude I have. Is this going to be something that's going to maintain the unity of the relationship? Is this going to make God look appealing to people because they know I follow him? Or am I just going to let everything within me just come out and let the person have it? So humility shows a different way. And it's the way that we speed towards unity. I want to talk about the other characteristics. So humility is everything in you that you want to do to let somebody have it when they've wronged you. You, you actually decide to see life from their angle. That's very difficult. You actually decide, that how can I be patient with that person? How can I speak with a gentleness because of the relationship, not just let them have it? That's what humility does. So it's the way that we speed towards unity. And as follower of Christ, you're always at the point where if you're veering off the freeway of unity in a relationship, whether it's within the church, with a close friend, In your family, as you're veering off and you feel that there's tension, there's not unity, you are supposed to accelerate and you get back on that that freeway to unity. It's so important. You've got to speed towards it because without unity, how can we live beyond ourselves? So if we're not unified with a group of people, if we're not unified in our relationship with God, we're left to just me. But again, self-help only gets us so far, so unity is crucial. So humility is the way to speed towards unity. I want to talk about the other characteristic, forgiveness. Forgiveness rebuilds unity when it's broken. So that's the way that you speed towards unity as you are veering off and you're kind of realizing there's some fragments in the relationship. Forgiveness is the way that, that you get back on the freeway of unity. It's the way that you speed towards it and it rebuilds it when it's broken. Ephesians four thirty one thirty two. This is a little bit later from the, the chapter I just read. It says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Along with all malice, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So now we're commanded to forgive. And the last part is crucial for the whole context of that, the, the passage as God in Christ forgave you. We forgive because what God has done to us. Because again, we have broken unity with Him because of our choices, by all of us going our own way and sinning. All of us. So that puts us all on the same playing field. We're all in the same place. We've wronged God, but because of His love for us and because of Jesus, who bridged the gap. Paid for the penalty of our own injustice. We're all on the same page. And so we forgive others because he forgave us. So it's very important to realize that. And there's this word here, this idea of bitterness. It's so important. Bitterness wants to destroy relationships. In fact, bitterness breaks down relationships, but forgiveness restores unity. Bitterness in this passage is, is actually literally translated like it's a poison, And bitterness comes out when somebody has done something to you, whether it was yesterday, 10 years ago, 25 years ago. Bitterness is this thing that you you cannot let it go. And you mull over it and you think about why they did that and how they did that and what were they thinking and didn't they know I was going through this. And the bitterness just replays the scenario again and again. You begin to want to make them pay. Well, bitterness is this poison. It's actually like a cancer that destroys you from the, the inside out. That's what bitterness does. And so the remedy of bitterness is to forgive. And we can only do that because of Christ as our example. And the, the way we contradict the poison, the way we remedy that is through three things. We be kind. We be kind. That's where we want to be useful to people. We're not just looking for our own interests. We we want to be useful. Uh, We want to be tender hearted. Uh, This is actually the description of this is interesting. It's, It's like you have bowels of compassion. Like internally, you're just filled with compassion for people. And that affects how you treat them. That affects how you view them. That affects what you say to them. So be kind. We're useful to people. We're tender hearted. We have compassion that's overflowing. And we forgive. That's how we rebuild unity when it's broken. Now, humility and forgiveness work together because humility is realizing, you know what? I have said the same thing that they have said to me. I have done the same thing to somebody else that they've done to me. The situation is like this. It happens to me practically all the time. I have to fight getting so upset when people cut me off on the freeway. And I know I'm not alone, but I'm not going to ask for hands. We don't want just road rage happening within us here. But there's something when somebody cuts me off that it just kind of gets to this core of you wronged me. This was my space, two cars, It's two cars, right? I don't know anymore. Maybe three. But, you know, it's it's, you have this space and then someone cuts you off or they get to where you want to get. And you think. You can't do that. This was my space. And I'm ticked and I'm fired up and I'm kind of going down and I'm speeding. and I'm just mad. And all of a sudden, like, I'm like, oh, there's my exit. And then I look and I just cut a guy off. I'm like, hey, sorry. I think, wait a second here. I was so upset. I was so mad because somebody took my space and then I just did it to somebody else. Honestly, it's like a five minute rule. Somebody cuts me off Ooh, within me, just uh, bitterness, bitterness, bitterness. I'm going to cut somebody else off. Oh, how'd that work? That happens all the time. In driving, for sure, but in life as well. We're frustrated with somebody because they said they were going to do something and they didn't do it. And you begin to get frustrated, like they didn't come through. They said they were going to help me with that and they forgot. And I'm not going to bring it up to them, but man, that really upsets me. They didn't even say sorry. They didn't even recognize that they had done that. And then a few weeks later, you find that you kind of did the same thing. You didn't do what you were going to say to somebody else. That's what you find. There's this picture of humility and forgiveness working together because we realize that we've really done similar things. Now, again, if somebody has wronged you, it doesn't mean you just let it go and pretend it doesn't happen again. That's option one. But it does mean that you have to act in a way that keeps kindness in mind. With compassion from a tender heart and ultimately with forgiveness. We've talked before about forgiveness. It's the process. There's a decisional forgiveness, which is you decide to forgive the person. And there's an emotional forgiveness that over time you have to battle the emotions of the bitterness that comes. Or wanting them to pay or the pain that's caused by something that somebody has done. for some of us, we've been hurt in a really deep way. This idea of forgiveness, it just lands like I'm just supposed to forget it. I'm just supposed to let it go like it didn't happen. No, it's still there. And the scars you may deal with the rest of your life. But you realize that it's not the basis on you that you do it. It's the basis that God forgave us. And I know that all I've done and I know all he knows about who I am. And he still loves me and he still forgives me. And so he is the basis that encourages me at any time. I feel like I'm further along than others or I'm mad at people because they didn't follow through. And I, I kind of have a list of things that I just have to realize, you know what, God, I do the same thing. You find that in parenting a lot. You, you're talking to your kids about why, why are you saying that just in that way? And they snap at you. And then like five minutes later, you snap at them and you're like, oh, I'm their teacher. You just realize, like, oh, I have to, I have to get on their level. and Realize, like, I'm actually sometimes teaching them the wrong example and then punishing them for the example I set. What am I thinking? That's how it is. So we can't keep a record of wrongs. We don't have a tally of, okay, they did this to me, I did this to them, we're even, or they they did two things, I did one, I get, I owe them one. It's, it's realizing that. <laughs> We need the forgiveness of God to transform us ourselves as we realize He has forgiven us for all we've done, and then we need the forgiveness of God to transform our relationships with one another. We can choose to be gentle and patient and tender-hearted and kind and compassionate because God will take care of us as we do that. Not only that, but our blessings, I mean our relationships will be such a blessing as we do it. And so this is the picture, humility and forgiveness working together, and it keeps the relationships together. In church in the valley, humility and forgiveness are crucial to church life. Any group that wants to get something done, humility and forgiveness has to be apart from the family unit to the work unit to the church unit. The degree that forgiveness happens, relationships thrive. The degree that those relationships thrive, you actually can move towards a goal At a faster pace. Same is true in church life. Without humility and forgiveness, we'd all be pursuing our own interests. So, over the last uh, couple weeks, we've been talking about heart attitudes. And as we've been talking about integrity, love, humility, and forgiveness, these are the four essential characteristics that God wants to build in us. We've talked through how at Church in the Valley we want to take those essential characteristics which make life enjoyable, which actually make relationships thrive. And we've talked through, how do we actually make those practical? How do we live out humility? How do we live out forgiveness? And last week, we talked about love and integrity. We talked about heart attitude number one, which is putting the goals and interests of others above my own. And then integrity, the outside and the inside matching. And that's living an honest and open life before others. Today, I want to talk about two other hard attitudes. These are the practical statements that we have as a church that we hold very dear to us on how we treat each other. And so I want to talk through humility. Humility is found in heart attitude number three, which is give and receive scriptural correction. You may hear that word correction and you're thinking, what, what is this? A pre- correction? What is that? But it's really this idea of when wrong has happened or when you see somebody that's doing something that's hurting themselves or hurting others, it's part of where you want to give them a picture of what's going on. You want to help them see how to have the life God wants them to have. So I want to talk through what this means. What does it mean to actually live out humility by giving and receiving scriptural correction? Here's the thing. We all have blind spots, right? That's why I cut off guys on the freeway. And they cut me me off. I don't see them. When life, it's the same way. You do certain things that you've done your whole life. And I do certain things that I've done my whole life for a number of reasons. And they make sense to me. But I just don't see them. They're blind to me. I just don't see them. And giving and receiving correction is this idea of, you are able to see things that you may not have ever seen why because somebody comes alongside and calls you forward to rise above maybe this thing that you've you've always thought made sense to you so it takes great humility when somebody points out something a pattern in your life that may be damaging yourself it takes great humility to think you know what you're right humility is saying to somebody as they Point out something that you may not see that is hurting yourself towards your right. That's humility. It could be in an attitude that you have, it could be in uh, a perspective that you have just as you relate to an authority, as you relate to uh, a friend, a coworker. Just you treat people a certain way and you don't, you're not exactly sure why you do it, and it's damaging your relationships. And humility is realizing that when somebody calls you on it and shows the pattern and how it doesn't help your life and how it's it's putting a wedge in your relationships, humility is recognizing and saying, thank you for calling me forward. Thank you for showing me that God wants to give me a better way. You know, even becoming a Christian takes humility because you have to realize that your own way is not good enough. Even that is a blind spot. You ever thought about that? You may have gone your whole, you know, your your own way your whole life. You've never known that your own way is not the right way. But as you turn to follow Christ, it's realizing that that way is not the right way. That's humility. So God corrects us by showing us the right way. And then he uses a group of people to give it and receive it. Now, this doesn't mean that we all have like, you know, swords out. and We're just like, you think, no, you stink! And we're just, because again, humility you correct you give it and you take it out of not wanting to help yourself but realizing that you want to help the other person and so correction really is 95 percent encouragement and love like you you want them to know that you love them and you care for them and it's five percent correction or challenge Depending on your wiring, you may want to go in 95% heat and swords. This is what you're doing. This is messing yourself up. Fix it. Let's move on. That kind of lands hard on people. But instead, if you relate to them, again, you have compassion. You try to see things and what they're going through. You relate to them in a patient way. You're tender with them. That's where humility and correction thrive together. You want to help them. And so giving and receiving scripture correction is is a fear because there's a part of us that think, well, people just want to do what they want to do. And we have a tendency to think, you know, whatever makes you happy or they have freedom, they're doing what they want to do. The picture here is actually the blind spots cause you to slam into the wall. And really love and humility working together is realizing that you don't want them to destroy themselves So there's a risk. There's a risk for the person that gives correction. You don't know how they're going to take it. And there's a huge risk for the person that receives it. The words you're right or thank you. You know what? I've I've never seen it that way. And I need to think that through. But I I think I think you're on to something. I do do that. That is a pattern I have. That's Humility. So we've asked people within the church to share how these hard attitudes have made a difference in their life. And I wanted to give an example from Barry Rogers. You you saw him up here. There's a picture of him up there. There he is getting eaten by a California bear. Uh, Barry shared this, and I thought this was helpful as just a description of how giving and receiving scripture correction has, has benefited him. He says, when I first started coming around CIV, I can honestly say I was pretty flaky. Uh, During the first few months, I had made commitments to help out with a service team and also be a part of a group that met every week. Uh, In both settings, I broke the commitments I had made by not showing up. Uh, The leaders very kindly took me aside and asked if there was anything wrong or if I was all right. Uh, They didn't lecture me, but it was pretty clear uh, what I had done was wrong. At first, I think I felt a little angry and embarrassed in both instances. Uh, But after I got to thinking about what i had committed to and why We had made those commitments. I could see that they were actually looking out for me by letting me know that I had broken my word. I was able to see I was letting others down, not getting the benefit of sticking with the group and just plain being a flake. I did not want to be like this. And I thank those leaders for calling me out, even though it was it had to be awkward for them to do. Uh, Barry Rogers serves on the First Impressions team, but that's a great picture. It's a calling forward. As you're relating to people and you're finding out what's going on in their life and you see this pattern that they're doing by something that they're saying or something, an attitude that they're having. Again, we correct the pattern, not one-time instances, but this pattern, it's just calling forward. Are you okay? What's going on? How can we move forward? How can I help you? And the person is blessed by it. Is it going to be awkward? Yeah. Is it embarrassing? Yeah. Part of embarrassment is it's humility. That's where humiliation comes from. But just like Barry experienced, it was actually a blessing because he saw how he wanted to actually help the group. He wanted to work towards the unity of the group. And he had said one thing and he'd done something else and he was called on. So that's humility. That's how we express it here at Church in the Valley. It's not the only way. Humility is also serving. Like Jeep was talking about service teams. You express humility by helping others with their goals, putting others in front of yourself. Just like heart attitude number one, that's part of humility. But one of the main practical ways at Church in the Valley is, is this giving and receiving scripture correction. We all have blind spots and we want to help each other live the life God wants us to. I want to share briefly on how we live out uh, forgiveness. And that's in Heart attitude number four, clearing up relationships with others. Relationships get messed up. They do. Daily, in fact. A lot of my relationships... You know, we, we're living good and it's feeling like, oh, everything's going smooth and then it gets messed up. I do something that I shouldn't have done. Or I just, I really was looking out for myself. I chose selfishness in this instance. Clearing up relationships is, is how you express forgiveness. Something is wrong. It's not ignored, but it's dealt with in the right way and it's, it's clearing it up. You know what? I said this and it was wrong. Will you forgive me? Or if somebody's done something to you and you can't let it go. You have a conversation with them. And you forgive them. So clearing up relationships. When relationships get messed up. We don't act like it didn't happen. That's what a dysfunctional family is. Things aren't right. And everyone pretends that they are. The family that God wants to have. That's unified. When things get messed up. They get cleaned up. And we clean them up here at Church of the Bible By actually clearing up the relationships. Christine Uh, Van Horn has shared a little bit about how clearing up relationships has made an impact on her life. And this is what she said. I've seen how living by heart attitude number four makes my relationships last and also makes them sweeter. I've also seen how living this out helps people be able to trust me more, knowing that I don't want to let conflict ruin our relationship or even make it tense. When I choose to clear up relationships, I communicate to others that I care enough about them and value our relationship enough To do what it takes to make things right. Either by asking forgiveness for how I wronged them. Or bringing something up to them that offended me. Christine helps out in our uh, student ministry here at Church in the Valley. There's a part of where if you leave things, maybe it'll be calm. There won't be friction. But over time, it's just like a dynamite. It's just going to blow up. Clearing up relationships is when something gets messed up, it gets cleaned up. Because... The relationship is valuable. So, we're going to talk uh, next week about the rest of the heart attitudes, but there's, those are the first four. And we wanted just to share those as these are key ways that you find out what's really important to us at Church in the Valley. And these statements are actually taken out of Scripture themselves, but they're the practical ways that we want to, to treat each other. And if you're checking out Church in the Valley, we want this to be true of your experience as well. We want you to feel loved. We want you to feel like this is the place where people have integrity. We want you to feel like this is the place where forgiveness happens and you experience it. And so we encourage you to, to stick around, plug into group, be a part of a team, and you'll be able to experience these uh, firsthand. As the band comes up, I'm going to uh, pray. Uh, there's some next steps that you can take on your connection card. As Jeep had you fill those out, you can put that there's a, a scripture that you can memorize and you can choose to choose humility this week as well i encourage you to do that right after i'm done praying we're going to receive our offering and you can drop that completed connection card in there won't you guys pray with me